That's why Christmas is such a special time. You know, I wish, I wish we had Christmas 24-7, 365. Um, and you know what? I believe that's how it's supposed to be. And I want to show you that from the Word today. You know, um, I get a little bit disappointed in uh, the plastic Jesus. And so I've called my sermon today, or my talk, No Plastic Jesus. Because sometimes the only Jesus that people see is a little plastic doll in a straw manger once a year. Baby Jesus. And um, so much, and so much is missed out on. And they think that the message of Christmas is a plastic baby in a manger. Problem is, is that with plastic Jesus comes plastic Christians and plastic faith. And um, that's not what we're about. We're, we're about stuff that's genuine, that's from our heart. So Christmas season, you know, we talk about the Christmas spirit, um, family get together, but peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That's more than just a saying. That's just not some meme that someone thought up. That is the plan of God. That's why Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Goodwill towards all men. Um, I think and the whole Christmas season, we're missing the big picture. Um, so I want to talk about the big picture today. And I want to start off in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read a lot of scripture for you today. Um, it's not going to be on the board because sometimes I know when I'm sitting there and there's a lot of scripture, I get distracted and I'm trying to read it and it's already gone on to the next two or three points and Joe, a bit slow, get left behind, <laughs> miss the point. What, was, what did he say, Dale? I'll tell you when I get home. And um, so John chapter 1, verse five, first verse, five verses says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Word we're talking about is the Son of God. He was there from the beginning, and nothing was made without him. That's what it tells us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We also know from John it tells us that God is love. God is the personification of love. Okay, if you want to describe God in one word, we would use love. The problem is that sometimes in our world, uh, love gets shortened down to so much that love might mean sex, it might mean lust, it might mean a fond feeling. But love is so much bigger than that. Love is not only a noun, but it's an action. And because of love, love, real love, causes manifestation and actions to happen that works out that which is inherent inside us. And so that's what happened with God. So in the beginning, it says God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.26, it said, And God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And again, when love manifests, it creates something. I know I love my wife. And out of our love together um, was born three beautiful kids. And out of that love, there's been grandchildren born. But so much more happens 
than just the birth of those kids. And so because of God's love, stuff was born and multiplied. Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image, and in his own image he created them male and female. So God created man, male and female, but was it like, um, you know, like was it at home, you know, when we got guinea pigs, you know, or like, you know, uh, I used to breed, I used to breed uh, budgies and peach faces. And so they were all in a cage and I'd come out every now and then and watch them and I'd go, oh, look, they're breeding, I've got eggs. You know, come out the next day, oh, the rats ate them. And <laughs> because I didn't look after them properly. And so I got galahs, a lot harder for rats to eat galahs, but they had a go. But anyway, um, did God create us, put us in a garden, this beautiful garden, and every day he'd look down and he'd go, call the angel, look what they're doing today. You know, it's like having an ant farm. They're running everywhere and having, but it's not like that. And it tells us that um, Genesis 3.8, it says, uh, after Adam and Eve had done something wrong, it says, then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that verse, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Like the cool of the day is like the best time. And walking in the garden, like I, I, I love to walk out in my yard and walk in my garden. When I, get, when I get a little bit stressed or a little bit sort of anxious or bored even, or just frustrated, I, I like to go barefoot walking on my grass out in the yard, looking at my trees, checking my frangipani, seeing if they're starting to flower yet. Walking around, looking at my tomatoes, my corn, and uh, patting the dog, looking, counting the oranges on my orange tree, and you know how much I'm going to have when it comes to season. I just love walking in the garden. And if you've been out to our place, um, I've probably taken you for a walk through my garden and showed you my frangipanis and showed you my fruit trees. And you're probably going, "Man, this is boring as anything." <laughs> but I'm having a good time, and I'm and I love being with people there. So God came down, and He used to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and even talk to him, have fellowship with him. I, I bet you he wasn't giving him instructions. I bet you he didn't come in the cool of the day and say, okay, I come in the cool of the day because you blokes will be able to concentrate a bit better, so sit there on that rock, I'm going to teach you. Or sit there on that rock and I'm going to prophesy to you. He didn't. He spent time with them walking in the garden and because that's what family does. Uh, that's what love does. Love spends quality time. Love takes time. Love makes time. And, um, but when God got there and Adam and Eve were hiding themselves, it says in three, Genesis 3.9, the Lord called to Adam and he said, where are you? Where are you? And um, why? What, what was he saying? Um, I think maybe when Adam and Eve weren't there, when God was saying, where are you? Like God knows where they are. He knows everything. When he was saying, where are you? I think he was saying to Adam and to, and to Eve to their heart, like, where, where are you in all of this? You know, where are you? Where are you? What's happened to you? What, what is it? Where are you? What, what has come between us? What has separated you from me? See, sin separates us from God. And um, when sin remains in our life, that separation remains in our life and relationship is broken when we're lost we usually know it at the start we probably don't realize we're lost we're just going away lollygagging in our usually way and we think we're just doing pretty well and then 
we start looking around and we think things aren't as good as they should be. Things aren't in order. I don't feel safe. You know, I don't feel like I belong here. And, um, and we realise that we're lost. And that's what happened to mankind. That's what happened to us. That's what happened to me in my life. I got lost. I, I got distracted by things that I shouldn't have been involved in. But, you know, sometimes we make bad decisions and each of us make those bad decisions. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes the thing that happens to us isn't even completely our fault or sometimes it's not anything to do with us. But stuff happens and it puts us in a place where we don't belong, where we know we don't belong and we know we're not home. Sometimes we just do our best to try to manage. Um, but it still doesn't change the fact that God is all about family. And um, so now I want to look at a different perspective of this family and, and why I love Christmas so much and because there's a deeper meaning in it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, I love this verse. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Our Father in heaven. You may have had a good or bad experience with your father, I don't know, but you can have a good experience with our heavenly father. Man, because he is love personified. And, and it's his family that it says we belong to, and our name is that. You know, anything else we sometimes try to identify ourselves with and give ourselves titles and maybe on our profile on social media or stuff like that. But really, our real name, who we really are, is we're a child of God. It's just that sometimes we're lost. Sometimes we've made a bad decision and we've gone down the wrong track. But family is important to the Father and you are important to the Father. Whether you know it or not, he loves you and you are very important to him. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1, it says, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, put your name in there. He was talking to the tribe of Jacob. He was talking to our descendants, but talking to us. It says, And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So don't fear, I have redeemed you. He has made a way for us to be unlost, if you like it that way. And also... Getting an understanding of the father heart of God, it says in Psalm 68 verse 5, he is a father to the fatherless. Even if you've never experienced what it's like to have a father, he is a father to the fatherless. And when you get plugged into God, when you get plugged into the fatherhood of God, I tell you, there's a new security that comes in your life. There's a new sense of belonging. There's a new sense of worth. There's a sense that I have got a future and I have got an inheritance. But my future with my father is the thing that drives me on. That's where I want to end up. I want to be with him. It says that he's a defender of widows. And it also says in Psalm 68 verse 6 that he sets the solitary into families. Family is so important to God that even if you feel like, well, I haven't got, I haven't got a mum or dad, or my family has forsaken me, they've kicked me out, or 
I have run away from my family and I don't feel I could ever go back. I've burnt too many bridges. Whatever it is, God sets the solitary into families. So he is well able to change your situation if you let him. Because he doesn't want you to be solitary. He doesn't want you to be alone. He doesn't want you to feel like you don't belong. He wants you to know that you are loved. And he wants you to know that you belong in a family, that there's a group. You know, we're communal people. We love hanging around together. We love eating together. We love lining up together. Well, most of you do. Pete and I will be up here testing the food, making sure it's... We'll be putting our life on the line because we don't know that... You know, you're lovely people, but I don't know if you can cook or not. But Pete and I, we will take the risk. We will taste everything. We will lick every tart, make sure it's okay and put it back. You'll be safe. You can have confidence. And any leftovers we'll get. Actually, I'd really appreciate it if everybody could stay. There's so much food um, and help me eat it because when no one stays and helps, I just keep getting fatter. And it's coming to Christmas and swimming tog time. John 14 verses 2 to 3. John 14 says, in my father's house, this is talking about heaven, this is talking about in eternity, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you in heaven with me. I'm preparing a home for you. You're part of the family home and I'm going to prepare a place so you can be here. And the last bit says that where I am, you can be also. I want you with me. Some of you have been kicked out of home because you were like black sheep. Some of us were, we were kicked out of home, told to leave home because we had to grow up and that's all fine. But we still, we love being home. I love my home. I love my family. I get in trouble sometimes because I stay home too much. Um, I love to be around my wife. And I love to be around my family. I remember once my wife said to me, it was an embarrassing time for her. Um, my wife said to me, I was following her around the house and she goes, do you have to follow me around like a little puppy dog? And I with my big puppy dog eyes, I said, Yes. That was about the same time as I proposed to her because, like, how it is. You feed a stray dog, it's yours. It's a, that happened. Anyway. But John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. We can paraphrase this in the Joe Casey Australian version and that says the father loves us so much that the son came on a rescue mission to bring us home where we belong. And that's how it actually is. From the beginning, God had a plan to bring you back home, to bring us back home. The word, that's God himself who made all things and through him all things were made. The word of God, the son of God. He laid it all down to come and rescue you, to bring you home where you belong. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 and 8, it says, 
But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Another part, it says he, he laid aside and he made himself even lower than the angels. He laid aside his crown. He laid aside his power and he became like us. And verse 8 says, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because our destination without God is death. And so he was prepared to humble himself and come and get on the same road that we are. He came to where we were and he started travelling like we travel. And at any time, he could have given up and gone home. But he stayed the whole time because he was redeeming the family. And something which is a whole other sermon together is he had to do it as a man. We'll talk about it sometime, about Jesus being our kinsman redeemer, one the same as us. Because as we learnt from the Old Testament, the blood of goats and sheep, those sacrifices could never wash away our sin, could never reunite us to God. They only atone for a period. Okay? And, uh, but if for us to be back in heaven, the price had to be paid by a man's death for a man's sin. And Jesus came to do that. It was a big risk. The word, the word of God, the word became flesh. That's an important thing that we need to understand. Jesus was the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of, as the one, one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when the word became flesh, he was also full of grace and truth. You know, it's a personal thing. Jesus doesn't, you know, send out a mailing list or anything. He doesn't um, open the front door of the temple and expect everyone to come to him. Uh, that's what we do as a church, actually. We put on a bit of a fancy show. We do a bit of a song and a dance and um, put an advertisement on and we throw open the front doors. Come on, all you sinners, come in here and uh, we've got something for you. And they go, oh, well, I'm not going in there. <laughs> but Jesus doesn't do that. Actually, it's personal. Jesus comes to your door. He comes to where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. He knows where you are and he'll come to that place. And I'll tell you, no place is too low for him. No, no brokenness in your life is too broken. No sin is too dirty. No decision is too stupid. Thank God. Praise God for that for me. I say, thank you, Lord. But he came and he found me where I was. And it says in, John, in uh, Revelation chapter 3.20, it says, Behold, I... I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I'll, I'll dine with him. I'll have a feed with him. I'll stay with him for a while and him with me. See, Jesus doesn't come to the door and break it down and say, listen, you brat, you're coming home. And grab us by the arm and drag us off. No, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go. He's not like that. He doesn't come in and make us feel guilty and say, you ran away from home. What were you thinking? I thought I taught you better than that. 
You've disgraced your mother and me. You've disgraced your family. Now come, get back, get in the car. You're coming home with me. He doesn't say that. He stands at the door and knocks. And if we will open the door to him, we'll find that he's not standing there as a judge. We'll, we'll find that he's standing there. We'll see the Father heart even in the Word of God, but we will see the love that Jesus has for us, that he came for us. He set everything apart. He risked it all for us. He comes and he knocks at our door. And I tell you, it's not the plastic baby Jesus. It's the real deal. Jesus is standing there and he says, can I come in? And we invite him in. He changes our heart. It says that he will dine with us. You know, many times, many times I see in the Bible where um, Jesus came across people that were broken, that were uh, living in sin, their life was a mess. I think of, I think of Zacchaeus and uh, he was a tax collector and Jesus was coming into town and tax collectors, people hated tax collectors and they were crooked, they were thieves and robbers and besides that he was a little fella. He had small tax collector syndrome. Anyway, Jesus has come along and, and so he'd climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus coming because he wanted to, and Jesus is walking along, but he saw something in Zacchaeus's heart. He saw that even though he was doing all these things, there was something in his heart that wanted Jesus. He wanted, he knew that was something better and he wanted it. And Jesus saw him in the tree and so Jesus said to him, hey Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm going to your place for lunch today. It's amazing that Jesus didn't see the broken person and grab him by the arm and say, come with me, you're coming to the synagogue. You know, you're going to come to the altar and confess your sin. Wait till we get to that holy water. I'll tell you what, I'm going to baptise you, good. He, he doesn't. Yet sometimes our parents say to that, they think they're going to drag us back off to church and make everything good. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he didn't, the first thing he said, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to where you are. And it's the same that Jesus was renowned. He had a reputation of eating and drinking with prostitutes and publicans. You know, even when Andrew, one of John the Baptist's disciples, that's Peter's brother, when he first heard about Jesus, he saw him and, and he ran up to him and, and uh, started talking to him and engaged him in a conversation because he was looking for the Messiah. But Jesus didn't say to him, uh, Andrew, I'm, I'm speaking at the synagogue tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. If you want to know more, come along. I preach a damn good sermon. But he didn't. He, he said, come to my place. And he took Andrew and the other disciple back to his place and talked with them. Um, so many times where Jesus went to people's houses, okay, because he goes to where they are. For us today... Don't be afraid to invite someone to your house. You know, it's hardly ever done now. You know, uh, having people over for lunch or bringing them home or, or you find someone with a need and you, you want to meet it. We, we try to find a more sanitised way than having them in our home. And, I've, you know, sometimes people say, well, I can't invite anyone over home. My house is untidy. Oh, I live in a rental and it's not real flash. And... Uh, Oh, you know, my neighbours are a bit loud. Oh, I haven't mowed the grass. I'm not a real good cook. None of that matters. You know, that's like saying, you know, um, don't look at the real me, but just look at my Facebook profile. 
See, there's all the good pictures. That's, that's the me you would love to know. Oh, funny guy. Slim and handsome. You come home, you're going to see me in my, in my shorts and my thongs my, on my feet and my, and my T-shirt. You'll see the real me. But people, sometimes we, we don't want to show the people the real me. But people need to see the real us because we are his testimony. We are, we are a picture of what the love of God does. And our testimony, the, when they see us, and they, we are written epistles. You know, people look at us and they see the word of God. They see the love of God. They see the forgiveness of God. And yeah, we might take them into our broken down home. We might drive them home in our broken down car. And, uh, and they might see our broken down life. But do you know what else they see? They feel the love and they see the hope that we have. You know, we have a hope because we are a work in progress. You know, God is working on us. He's changing us. You know, sometimes we get lost along the way. Our destination is my father's house. The destination is back home where we belong, back home where God's prepared a place for us because he wants us where he is. But sometimes we get lost as we travel. You know, sometimes, you know, there's a way to something and we get lost along the way. We forget about the destination. We get caught up in the things along the way. A good example of that is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8, 10, and 13. It says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will fail. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then all which is part will be done away with. All the framework will be done away with. All our travelling tools will be done away with. Now abides faith, hope and love. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. See, the destination is home with the Father, is living in love. It's having, living with hope in our life. The tools that we use to sometimes point people towards Jesus, to teach, to inspire, to help rescue. Sometimes when someone's down in a pit and you can't reach them, you've got to throw them a rope. You've got to help pull them out. Sometimes it takes time to clean them off. So things like our teaching gift, even the prophetic gift, you know, we, they're tools that we use. But when we get to heaven, they're not there because we're rescued. Everyone knows everything then. But the things that are there that endured... They endure our love and faith and hope. And one of the things that we, a tool that we use now, uh, a couple of the tools that we use now that are going to endure but are very important now is love and hope. People know when they're loved, but people also need to have hope. So when Jesus comes and knocks on our door and we let him in and he dines with us, what do you think Jesus talks about to us? Does he talk about all the sin in our life and how bad we are? Does he continually condemn us? No, he doesn't. I remember when I first met Jesus, the first thing I felt, I was overwhelmed by the love and the acceptance in this tent meeting that I went to in Warwick. I walked in and I could feel it, the tangible 
love there and the acceptance. And I walked into that place and, man, there was all these blokes of different... Some of them were like, looked a bit like hippies and some looked pretty straight and um, come up and they shake a hand and they were calling me brother. And, man, remember those days? Hey, back in the 70s and early 80s, everyone's brother. I loved it. Man, our brother. There, that meant something. And shaking hands. And like, it was a good handshake and they called you brother. Man, I thought, oh, this is where I belong. And I felt it, the love. And, um, and the other thing that it brings to is the hope. You know, the world is a hopeless place at the moment. But... Um, Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, peace in our heart and the goodwill, you know, the good things that will happen. It brings hope in our heart that tomorrow, we've got the evidence of it now, I'm loved. Tomorrow can and will be better. And um, that was Jesus' mission. Um, Don't get, right here, don't get lost in chasing after the prophecies and the blessings and the manifestation of the Spirit and forget what the purpose of it all is. Where there is love, it's easy to have hope. The manifestation of love in our lives brings hope to other people. And where there is hope, guess what? Faith grows. Hebrews, it says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when, when people start getting hope in their life, They start dreaming of what could be. In their imagination, they start seeing that things can be different. Things can change. And that hope then is the breeding ground for faith. Faith is I know. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when we have that evidence of God's love and we've got that hope growing in us, faith comes and we go, I know I can be different. I know Jesus died for me. I know I have a place in his kingdom. I know he died for me and my sins can be forgiven and I can have a new life in Christ. That's the the business that Jesus came for. That's his mission. He didn't spend all of his time in a synagogue. You notice that? He spent his time travelling around, talking to people in the streets, in and out of homes, down by the river. Luke chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. See, it wasn't just his business, it was the father's business too, the father's heart. You know, we think about the prodigal son. The prodigal, prodigal actually means wasteful. The wasteful son, he left home, he wanted everything for himself and he spent all his inheritance on loose living and chasing after prostitutes and buying flash donkeys and stuff. But he ended up, he ended up broke and uh, in debt to someone of a totally different faith and feeding pigs. And he wanted to eat the pig's food. He was that hungry. But somewhere inside of him, there was a call of the father's heart. He knew his father's heart. He didn't know it perfectly, but it brought hope to him because he said, even in my father's home, I know my father is generous. I've seen him in good to all sorts of people. I'm going to go back to my father's and I'm going to say to him, just want to be your servant. But when he got home, the father had different ideas. Sometimes when we realise where we've been off track and how we've been wrong 
and we want to come back to God and we, we ask for forgiveness and we feel we're receiving that forgiveness. We get caught up in then wanting to be, God, i just got to show you how... I've got to, I'll be a servant in your home. And we can run around serving God, doing all these things. And, and a lot of times the love gets left out of it and becomes like a labour because we're trying to earn our forgiveness that's already been paid for. However, when he came back, when the prodigal son came back, the father ran and met him. And before he could say or do anything, the father put a robe on him to cover, to cover him, to cover his sin, to cover his nakedness. He put a ring on his finger for the authority back in the family and put shoes on his feet and brought him to the house, back to the house, back to his home as a son, not in the servants' quarters, but home as a son. This is the father's business. Also in John 2.17, then his disciples remembered that it was written that zeal for your house has eaten me up. Those prophetic words. Jesus, zeal for my father's house. We, we change that sometimes and I think we might get it a little bit wrong. And when we say zeal for my father's house, you've got to be in church. Well, you've got to be in the church meeting. Yeah, that's important. But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Me personally, if I'm wrong, you can stone me after it. I've seen some of the scones that were baked. Throw them at me. But no. <laughs> I'm just making sure you're still awake. I didn't, did I lose anyone? No. No. When Jesus said zeal for my father's house, that's the same word as in my father's house. There are many mansions. I want you to be where I am. His zeal to have us where he is. But it doesn't come unless our flesh, our word becomes flesh. It's funny that when we do it the wrong way around, we end up like the people that it talks about in uh, Matthew 25, where they said, you know, Lord, we did this for you. We prophesied in your name. We laid hands on the sick in your name. We cast out demons in your name, Lord. And Jesus said, well, I didn't know you. Depart from me. And, um, and then Jesus goes on to tell them that what they were doing was just works. It wasn't out of a relationship with him. And he verified that by saying to them, when I was sick, you didn't come and visit me. When I was in jail, you didn't, you didn't come and bring me supplies and comfort me in jail. You know, when I was naked, you didn't give me clothes. And when I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. And they'll say to him, Lord, when, did, when were you ever in jail? When were ever you thirsty? When were you ever sick? And then Jesus said back to him, whenever you did that, to the least of these my people, my brethren, my family, whenever you did that or didn't do that to my family, you did it to me. So what Jesus is talking about is how, how important family is. It's more important than just the prophesying and the casting out demons. It's more important that when someone comes into church and they're, uh, as it talks about in the book of James, that they're, they're half naked and they're hungry and they're beaten up and we say, oh, come, 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 sit here, brother. At the end of the service, we'll pray for you. That's not what it's about. It says in James, I'll show you my faith by my works. So when that person comes in, we, we must be like the Good Samaritan. We take them, we care for them, 
we wash their wounds, we clothe them, we give them something to, to eat, and then we look after where they're staying. If it's, in, if it's in our ability to do something to help people, we should be doing it. I've got more to say, but um, time's running out, and I'm looking forward to those scones and cream, so... First thing, I just want to give you two challenges. First thing is if you don't really know God or you don't know about the Father's house or you feel like you're still lost, if you're searching for peace, joy and hope, then the place that you'll find it is in Jesus. And the place where you'll find it is with his family. His family is all over the place, loving people. We're not perfect, but man, we're trying. If we don't get it right the first time, please give us a second chance because we do love you and we want to see we want to see you with us as well in our Father's house. And to the Christians, I just want to ask this question. How real is the Jesus that people see in you? Do they see the plastic baby Jesus? Do they see a man made out of plaster hanging on a cross? Or do they see and feel the love of the living Son of God? When you're with them, do they feel love, hope, acceptance? Because that's our mission. It's not just for the 25th of December where families come home and we welcome them. 24-7, 365. Jesus is real. We're on a rescue mission to find the lost and bring them home. Don't hide in your home. If you're in your home, it's great. Turn the light on, open the front door. Invite people in. Today, if you're, if you're here and, and you've struggled with that relationship with Jesus, if you still feel lost, if you're hurt, if you're broken, sick, hungry, naked, well, the answers are all here. They're all in this room. I believe that's why God brought you here to this place. I'd love to pray with you, but there's probably other people here that can help meet those needs. If you don't know Jesus, I'd like to introduce you to him. And I believe that at the moment he's knocking on some people's hearts. Some of you have been in, been part of the family, and you've wandered away, but it's time to come home. Come home for Christmas, but come home for the celebration of Christ, Christmas 24-7. Come home to Jesus because you belong in the Father's house. And if you're a Christian and you think, I haven't been living like I should, it's decision time for you too. Let's change. Let's change it. Sometimes circumstances happen in our life that bring changes. I've had a couple of big ones over the last few years and they weren't pleasant and stuff happened and, and I look back at it. I'm so grateful.
I'm thankful that he broke me. Because he's in the process of, it's like when you crack a nut, you've got to break all the old shell off to reveal the real seed inside. And so he had to break this old nut. And um, I'm glad of where I am. And I know where I'm going. If you want prayer this morning, if we can pray for you, there's me and others, we'll be here and we'd love to pray for you. Um, I'll just invite you to come. Thank you.